0: Volume 17. Travel Agent Chatter is an audio series produced by the team here at Host Agency Reviews roughly every quarter. Today, we're picking the brain of a self-described airfare consultant who charges between $60 to $500 per ticket, as well as has a handful of his clients on retainer. You'll learn how he does it, why he does it, and some cool tips and tricks to apply to your agency. Before we jump into the show, a few updates. First off, Thank you for filling out our travel agent income survey uh, that we talked about in the last episode. I'm thrilled to say that the HAR team has been busy crunching data and the 2020 hosted travel agent income report is live on the site. We'll be pushing out more reports soon covering independent advisors, income, travel agent employee salaries and benefits, and a report on the income and startup costs for new advisors. And you can always find all of HAR's reports by visiting our blog and selecting Travel Agent sur- Surveys from the tags dropdown. And one last shout out before we get started. I'm thrilled to say we reached our goal for 2020-20 campaign. That's right, we hit 20 new reviews in 2020, so thank you for all your help. And I think I've kept you waiting long enough, haven't I? Let's get on of the show. All right. Well, Neil, my boy, do we ever have a fun show for you today? Um, and we as an industry totally need a fun and inspiring show to add a little sunshine to the horrific year of 2020 that all of us want to see in our rearview mirror. Um, so Larry Neron is living proof that you can make money in airfare. Uh we'll be talking today about how he built up his business and how you can build your air sales um, and increase them and be more confident in booking your air. We'll give like a lot of hands-on tips for you. I just want to remind everybody, there's plenty of ways to digest our podcast. So we have the video, which is on our YouTube page uh, for host agency reviews. We have the transcript at hostagencyreviews.com slash TAC. And of course you can also listen it and stream it on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Let's see. So today's schedule, we'll be breaking it into five different segments. The first will be beginnings. Uh, Next up will be all things fees. We'll talk about Larry's booking process. And then the last one is my catch all bucket. It's all other things. So, and then we'll finish it with our warm, fuzzy segment. So let's get this show on the road. Larry, welcome to travel agent chatter.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Nice to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to paint a little picture of Larry for you because he's Canadian. Uh, so between Larry and me, maybe hearing some really long O's in our Northern accents as they come out. Uh, and, and Larry, you're actually, I don't know if you know this, you're really lucky that you're based out of Canada because when people ask you where you're from, like Minnesota is just horrible because you have such a long O in it. And so they're like, Oh, Minnesota, you're like. So I try to say it like as fast as I can, I'll be like, Minnesota. (laughs) And hope that my O's don't show up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my first language is French, so I do have a mix of, yeah, Canadian and French in there, so a bit of a bag.
0: Oh, (laughs) Um, well, I'm so excited to have you on today because I have to tell you, airfare is not really my strong suit, Uh, but you're one of the biggest aviation geeks I've met and I love your passion for it. (laughs) Um, uh, so Larry's from Canada, as we said, um, he loves road biking and your agency isn't quite, I wouldn't call it home-based. What would you call it, Larry? Like RV-based?
1: Uh, pretty much. Yeah. It's, uh, it's based out of my RV and I usually travel around North America depending on the weather. So I spend my time in between Canada, U.S., Mexico. So wherever the sun goes, I go.
0: Yeah. Or depending on infectious diseases because now you're kind of trapped up there, right? That's right. (laughs) Well, so Larry's been kicking around the industry for about 15 years, um, seven of it as a travel advisor. um, And he was also with WestJet for a little bit, doing some travel industry things. So while we're, well, when we were talking earlier, one of my favorite moments uh, was when you casually mentioned as if this was completely normal, that you played an airline simulation game for fun. And when you when you first mentioned it, I thought you were like, um, you know, pretending to pilot a plane or something, and you got points for good landings. Uh, but it turns out like the game is actually simulating running an airline. So I'd like you to kind of tell us, um, because I know I'm not the only one wondering this, how in the world did playing that, simulation game get you into WestJet's pricing department, like air pricing department without any qualifications?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got hired, first of all, at WestJet because I was bilingual, French and English. So my first job was a super sale agent on the phone in a call center. And I spent about six months there, which was the minimum time we had to do before we can move to another job. And then I moved to the groups department after that. And throughout these in a bit years i was playing this airline game called airline simulation online all the time on the weekend geeking out about building an airline with my own schedule my own fees buying my planes and managing the money and money as well and um one day a position came up with the pricing department as a coordinator position and like us we read descriptions of you know job postings and i always feel like you're not qualified to it or you're missing a bunch of stuff. And uh, one of my team leaders at the time said, Would "You just go shadow. Just go see what they do." And I took some time. I went there, and uh, when I saw exactly what they did, which which was they just managed the airline, and all their pricing sheets were in Excel, exactly what I was doing with my fake airline, which I don't even recall what the name of it was then. I was gonna ask. <laughs> um, I don't recall. I think I I I think I probably had like some Canada in it. Air Canada like was Lair taken, air. obviously.
0: Lair air. Like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good one. Um, and then I, you know, and then when I saw that, I applied for the job and I got an interview and then I tried the interview with uh, my fake airlines uh, papers and all my spreadsheets printed and my schedules and my pricing, everything and <laughs> saying, listen, you guys do this for real and I do it for fun. So I'm pretty sure I could be, I'm pretty sure I could do this. And then that got me uh, a foot in the door to the pricing and the revenue management team at Washington at the time.
0: So you, so you did that for like seven years. Is that right?
1: Six and a half years of farming altogether. Yeah. And that was nine years of shit altogether.
0: And then after WestJet, you decided that you wanted to be on the advisor side of things. So tell us a little bit about your next stint and how that gave you, it was kind of like a step, stepping stone to starting your own agency. So what happened there? Where were you at and what happened?
1: Yeah, at the end of after six and a half years, like I'd done pretty much all jobs I could do in the, in the revenue management department and it was fun. And I just didn't want to tell it was no longer fun for me to leave. And at the same time, I was doing some personal development work on the side and came the topic of passion and questioning what I was doing. And I realized that I liked helping people buy, right? So long I'd been booking tickets for my parents, my brother, my sister, friends, families, like everybody who needed to fly, like I was always the go-to person to book it. And so I wanted to jump the fence, take all that knowledge I'd gotten from the airline and get over to the consumer side and make them uh, benefit from all that information that I've learned. So I went on doing that. I quit WestJet um, on the spot and I took the summer off and I could build a business and, you know, building a business and all that kind of stuff. And I said, maybe it's just easier if I just get a job. And uh, I applied for uh, flight center, a travel agency in Canada and retail mall. And I got hired right away. I had some qualifications, right? Got trained up and I spent 10 months uh, doing a uh, retail travel agency with a uniform, you know, and got a taste of <laughs> it's that. It's my
0: favorite. I don't even know what the <laughs> flight center uniforms look like, but I love that they have them.
1: <laughs> uh, we had a tie. We had a tie. Uh, I didn't even know how to do, like, do up a tie. Oh, it's not time, clip-on.
0: So. It's a real one.
1: It was a real one, yeah. They're they fans. gave us a real ones. <laughs> so that was that was that was fun. But after ten months, I realized that, you know, I was going in the right direction, meaning that I was doing what I really wanted to do. But it's the way that they were doing it. I just didn't want to do it the same way, and that's what got me to quit Flight Center and start on my own as an independent travel agent on January twenty fourteen, right off the bat, without any experience or any clients or book of business.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was the um, kind of the idea that they weren't transparent with the fees that was kind of trouble troubling for you, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was, you know, the fact that everything was very on a transaction for transaction level. Like every time you sold something, you needed to make sure you extract as much money as you possibly could for that client, as opposed to just build a relationship for the long term and. That will benefit both people in the end. and But it was always numbers, 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 and we need to raise. And I didn't feel confident, you know, like charging more than what it was in case somebody noticed. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like now all of a sudden your credibility just goes down the drain, and then you can lose a bunch of clients, a lot of clients do it from that. And I just didn't want to do that. Like I just wanted to charge fees for what I did, and I just wanted people to know I wanted to have my name at the bottom with the fee associated with it is how kind of it started. And then later on through listening to other people, it became a fee. And that's how I decided to start on my own. And right off the bat, I started charging fees.
0: Well, well, that's the perfect transition to our next section, which is all things fees. Um, So fees are such a hot topic right now in the industry with COVID creating this huge push for travel advisors to start charging fees for their services. Um, everywhere you look, there's an article or a webinar on fees and we we just recently did a fee trend webinar and how COVID's kind of changing things and that's Larry reached out to me after that. Um I was on uh, there. Yeah. And it, it's pretty fun. I even pull out my trumpet for it. So I will put a link in the show notes um for people that want to watch the fee trend slash uh trumpet recital webinar that we put on. So um let's see. So you had written in and you had shared with me how you only sell air and that eighty five percent of your income comes from ticketing fees. Um and that fifteen percent is from the air commissions. So your ticket fees range from sixty to five hundred Canadian US dollars, right? Yeah,
1: so for international travel, if you want to keep it full, it starts at one sixty five and it goes up to four twenty five. Yeah. And then okay. domestic stuff, it's a little less, but I raise the fees all the time cause I just want to do less of those, but the international is where what I do most and, uh, and mostly in the premium cabins as well. So, uh, so that's why I still have 15% commission cause there's still good commissions made when you book a uh, premium cabin and business class most of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and to give everyone an idea, um, of how much air Larry is booking. So he booked, uh, 775,000, um, an air only in 2019. So I think for a lot of people, it might be easy to think like, oh, it's easy for Larry to become an airfare expert and to charge those fees because he has the background of the inner working of the airlines, but I don't have that experience. But your philosophy is that it's not so much about what you know, but it's about the services that you're providing. So what do you, what do you mean by that? Can you explain that a little more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when people ask me, like when I tried to explain what I do and it took me years to nail it down and I still don't have it nailed down exactly what I, I do. People, like, <laughs> people always come back to, so you're a travel agent. I'm like, yes! well, essentially what I say now is like, well, I have a service, I have a service company and I happen to have an expertise in aircraft. But primarily why people come to me is for just peace of mind. It's all about service. Um, yeah, I do have an advantage in a sense where I know some uh, airfare stuff that gives me an edge that way, but that's not, people don't come because I save them money, right? Like that's the byproduct of working with me is like we end up by saving money because I know a little more because I happen to work in the airline industry and in the heart of the airline with the revenue management team and the pricing, but primarily it's peace of mind. I just, you know, like I, I you know, I work primarily like my prime part. Client is a person who spend their entire life um, cha- exchanging uh, time for money, and now they're in a to exchange me for time. Right. So now they pay me, and whatever hassle I can take off their plate. Um, and really, all I do with the piece is I just try to make sure the idea is as seamless and stress free as possible. I'm um, I try to um, I'm proactive as opposed to reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I track all the flights from my clients. I make mean, they um, you know, the flights connect if the flight doesn't arrive on time as delay, then I send them a quick message. And this tool started as when I first started, I so did not want a client to call me at three in the morning and for them to tell me that their flight was canceled, I always wanted to know before they did. So I started sending all these alerts to warn me if things were going to go off the rails and I found out by instance that. You know, by getting that email automatically and I'm like, Oh, flight's delayed. I get on my phone and I send a client, a, a message to my client saying, Are you still at the line? Like, yeah, I'm just about to leave for the gate. And I text him back and I said, Listen, your flight's delayed 20 minutes. Have another cocktail or something. And then all of a sudden, like it turns into like telling to his buddies, like, Hey, your flight's delayed. And he's like, Well, how do you know? Well, my travel guy sent it to me. And this little thing made the world of a difference to these people. Like it just reinforced that somebody was flying with them, they had their backs. And uh, it turned into a great value tool, like a service tool that translated into huge value in terms of price my client. And which, in essence, uh, time-wise, it takes literally no time, but I can extract a lot of value out of that. So when we talk about fees, specifically in my business, I don't tend to price fees based on how much time it takes me to to do the the, the job or the task. I price my my services based on um, how my client would perceive value what I deliver. So it has nothing to do with what I believe it's worth, because I'd never pay thousand dollars for a business class ticket to go to London, right? But mm-hmm. plenty of plenty of my clients do, right? And um, and again, going back to my avatar, I know that most of my clients pay one hundred fifty dollars for a men's haircut, right? Crazy, and will pay one hundred sixty dollars for a one hour massage, right? I pay sixty, um, they pay five hundred dollars for an oil change. They'll have uh, pay anywhere from you know four to six hundred dollars for a lawyer per hour. So I can't come along and say, "Hey, I'm going to charge you thirty five dollars to do your booking right yeah. so all my fees are based according to uh what my clients are accustomed to be paying in their lives against all the other professionals and um and what they value and you know it's that's all it is like there's uh, a lot of my clients would tell me like it's great because there's not a lot of places you get service nowadays, and when you deliver it and you just take you just pay attention. It's personalized. You take good care of them. You communicate with them and you just give them confidence and they will never go away. Like it's amazing. And it's just service. Right. And they come to me because of that. And sure, I mean, it helps when I save money, really likes to save money, but it's primarily because of the peace of mind that I deliver.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, what are, are there any like specific tips that you learned from working in the pricing department that you apply as you're like searching for airfares um, for your clients?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff. I mean, just how to build an itinerary, right? Let's, you know, are you gonna, you know, if I have a client that has to do two stops in Europe and instead of building a three-legged flight to kayak that price is $6,000, then I'll perhaps know that if I build an open off, I'll get the pricing I want and I'll just book a separate ticket intra Europe flight because that's cheap and that's easily changeable. And that could save, um, that could save a lot of money. Um, I can, if my clients try to let me know ahead of time what they have coming, right. So that I can pay attention to if there's sales, if there's anything coming up, cause I mean, even if they're not, we're not really price sensitive, but I mean, if there's a saving ad, we'll, we'll, we'll go for it. Um, you know, something like advanced purchase, right. If I tell a client today, this is the price and I'll go into, uh, I'll go into the booking or the, 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 a fair basis code and I'll notice that that fare expires at 14 days out and tomorrow will be 13 days out, then I can tell them, listen, maybe we want to do this today, if tomorrow I can't guarantee you the price is most likely going to jump. So there's very little things like that. Um, pricing uh, stopovers, which is something that's in pretty much a lot of international rules that a lot of people don't know about, where you can, if you build a itinerary a certain way, you can add a stopover for, sometimes they're free, sometimes they allow you free stopovers, sometimes it's a hundred bucks extra. And that makes a huge difference because chances are, if you have clients that have looked themselves, they've punched in from here to here, from here to here, to here, to here, and it priced out $5,000. And when I build my ticket the way I do with uh, with the knowledge I have of pricing, then it's going to come up at $2,500 because we got that free stopover and it didn't calculate as an extra two flights on the whole itinerary. So there's a whole bunch of little things, and these are all things that travel agents have access to, and that it goes a little more into detail, but um, that's... That's the geeky part of me. I love to do that.
0: <laughs> I know it's great hearing you talk. So, because not everybody um, may, not all advisors are as into air and and may not even really book it for their clients. Um, when you say open job, would you mind explaining what that is? Because I'm, um, I'm sure there's some listeners that aren't up to date on. Yeah,
1: that. absolutely. Yeah, I have a client particularly that does the route quite often, and he'll go from Vancouver to Zurich. And then he'll stop in Dubai and then Dubai back to Vancouver. Okay. And again, just knowledge of airline hub and where routes are going. And he's an Air Canada status holder. So we usually book him Vancouver to Zurich and then Dubai back to Vancouver. And Mm -hmm. that part in the middle, that we book it separately and we book a Swiss flight. And every time we do that, we can do that entire journey. And he flies premium economy most of the time. For $2,300 Canadian, which is pretty pretty good because if we tried to do that all in the same airline, we would have to go Dubai back to Europe, back to Vancouver, which would make it that much longer for him on the plane. So not only does he save money, he saves a lot of time not spent on the plane. And just because of how I structured the itinerary with that open job, meaning he ended in a city in Zurich and you'll be departing from another one in Dubai and all converging back.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, let's see. So like some of the, you also talk about with your, the service that you provide, like some of the small things you do, like you, um, what are some examples of things an advisor can do kind of value adds when someone books with them that don't cost them anything, don't take a lot of time that can help, um, Justify the price increase. From most agents, I think on average it's twenty-five or thirty dollars uh, U.S. dollars for domestic, and fifty for international. When we do our um, fee survey, and I'll link to the fee survey in our show notes so that people are able to get tons of information on what people are charging for. But what what kind of value adds do you offer to your clients for the price?
1: Uh, I add a ton of stuff, but just to give, to keep it concrete and actionable. Like if an agent tomorrow wanted to do something and, and increase their fee from 25 to $50, because first of all, like a lot of, a lot of agent, I feel start uh, charge per error for the booking. Yep. part, Right. And if you do it for the booking part, perfect. Keep doing it. Right. But then tomorrow morning, if you want to build a package that has four things in it, let's say you will do online check in 24 hours prior, you will perhaps, um, if there's upgrades available, you're going to let them know and pay for it. If they want to upgrade to business, like cash upgrade, uh, you're going to prepay for their bag, right, online as you do the check-in. And then um, you're just going to monitor their flight during that journey, right? You're going to set them alert. You're going to keep an eye. And if there's anything that comes up, a delay, a gate change, anything, you're just going to communicate with them and let them know, right? Those four things, for example, if you want to sell it as an add-on to your $25, you can keep doing that. It's like, listen, hey, I have the product. You want to pay an extra, you know, if you want to make it a hundred dollars or $50 or $75, I'll do X, Y, and Z. And if you still feel that this is not enough, these four items to justify the increase, then pile in a bunch of COVID stuff that you're going to have to do extra. <laughs> now. Cause that's the easiest way to sell it. Right. And if you, the long, if you, it depends on your level of confidence and the experience you have with fees, the less thing you have and the more they have, the better they go. But I understand that when you start, sometimes you feel like you need to list a lot of stuff to justify the price. Just make that list as long as you can. And these are all things that you currently do. For example, like I do, I do the online check-in. Like I track the incoming flight. If I know a client leaves at 6 in the morning, I'll track the flight in the night before to their airport and make sure it's on the ground. Because chances are tomorrow morning, we're not going to have any delay. And then I'm going to send them a quick note before they go to bed. I was like, listen, your plane's on the ground. Looks all good for tomorrow morning for we're on time. I'll make sure I know what time they're leaving the house, and if delay, then I'll let them know before they leave the house so they can leave a little later. Let's say if it's like a two-, three-hour delay, for example, mm-hmm. I'll let them know, right? So it's all about communicating for the most part. Um, if someone has a very tight, um, for some reason we build a two-hour delay on the way in, and all of a sudden like they're crunching to, like I don't know, 45 minutes to connect at a specific airport, um, I will go on my phone and I will Google Toronto Pearson Airport Terminal 3 map. They'll bring me the map of the airport in Toronto with all the gates, and I'll, I'll do a, uh, a screenshot. And right on my phone, I will circle, here's where you're arriving, here's where you're going, and I'll circle and I'll just send that up. Very simple. And then they receive it and they go, oh, and just break stress down a little bit, right? Like just some peace of mind. Somebody's there. I just got to go from here to here. If there's a train to do in between the terminals, I'll let them know there is that. So So they know what to expect once they get off the plane. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one of the things I'll highlight them and you could do that. I mean, clients can all do that themselves. I mean, the, the American airline app is amazing in that. And a lot of times when my clients fly, uh, with AA, I have their trip on the app. I pull it up and I go, they need to go from this gate to this gate. They send me the routing with all the nice arrows. There's none of my finger arrows on there. (laughs) I screenshot it and I send it to my clients and they go, wow, that's amazing. It's almost like, how did you do that? And it's like, it's simple. Cause it's a lot of time it's all stuff that your clients can do themselves as well, but they don't necessarily want to do it. And they, they probably didn't even know you could do it a lot of times, right? Not everybody's really savvy and not everybody wants to do it. Um, so that stuff like gate changes are killer, even though again, all, all your clients could have a gate update right on one if they chose to, but a lot of them don't. Right. Mm-hmm. So, if there's a gate change and rushing through security, I'll send him a text like, listen, now D62. And I'll be like, shit, thank you. I didn't have to go all the way to C30 to come back home. You know, like, it's just little things that you could do. And these are all the things that um that I do when they fly. Like, oh, what else would I do? Um,
0: well, you have, make like, a lot sometimes. of, like, touch points, which is, I think, unique. Like, you're you're not, like during their trip there's a lot of touch points even when things aren't going wrong just to like we all know how stressful it is to travel and especially if there's a tight connection like yes you can look at your phone look at the app but if you just got this text that was proactively there it's like here's stuff you need to go to this gate here's the directions instead of having to look things up so much less stressful and a time saver
1: yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's again, it's just communicating and it's usually a lot of stuff that agents already know what to do. They already know where to look that stuff up and it's it's nothing specific to just booking air ticket. It's just having at the back of your mind that you're, I'm trying to make it as seamless and stress-free as possible for my client on their journey. And I'm taking that on for them and they could do whatever they do. They can work, they can relax, they can get ready for their meeting. They could do whatever they want. I'll take that on. And I'll virtually fly with them is essentially what it is. Now, I mean, you could go down the rabbit hole doing a lot of stuff, right? Like I created, but you don't need, there's a lot of little touch points that don't take a lot of time easily that are easy to automate that any agent can do tomorrow that can increase the fee they charge for error with very minimal extra work on their part, but that will generate a tremendous amount of value for your client. And if you manage to capitalize on that value with pricing, um, all you're going to get is rating fans at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Well, you also have, um, kind of a program you're working on and just launching that your goal is to kind of teach advisors how to double their air revenue. Um, do you, can you chat a little bit more on that and where people can go to learn more information?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, I want to work with like established travel advisors to help them double their air revenue And essentially it's leveraging work they already do. Um, and it doesn't sacrifice any of their particular niche market or the specialty they do. And it won't jeopardize your client base, which is what a lot of advisors are worried about when they start into fees. Um, and it's just going to take, you know, essentially I want to, I want to show on that little piece of the airfare how we can monetize it. And the hope is that as a byproduct of Agents will draw parallel in their niche market. Says, listen, when I do the air, I could do this type of service. I'll get this much money. Wait, I do this. I can also do similar kind of packaging, similar kind of thing. And then slowly, you move your fees across your business from the little air. Eventually, you get to your niche market, and ultimately, you get to a point where you charge air all the way across your business for everything you do for everyone you serve. Uh, But that's just a way to start small and I'll show you how we can make air uh, money with air, which nobody yeah. thinks you can, but it's, it's feasible. And it's really about service and it could transfer across, um, across everything an agent do. And we'll go from, you know, like anything in the, the curriculum is not all set yet. It's going to be launching in about a month from now. Uh, but we're going to go with, you know, like looking at some mindset stuff and how old you become authority and how, you have, you know, we'll look at your clients, your current client base that you have, uh, what your future clients going to look like when you design a service experience. Um, we're going to work on the delivery package. We're going to sit and I'm going to show you all the tools, all the automation that you can use to effectively produce all that, which going to ultimately generate more revenue on air that you already do anyway, and hopefully increase your profitability. If anything, just at one income, not one revenue stream, and, you know, and from there I'm hoping it's going to grow into your business sideways and then you're going to eventually, as, a, as an advisor, become, uh, take tremendously the profitable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Start with air and then take the rest.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and so the, the details for signing up, because depending when you're listening to this, uh, the, the product may or may not be launched, but you can go to airfareconsultant.com slash H-A-R. Um, and I, uh, there'll be either there'll be a landing page where you can sign up for more details and, and get on the list. So Larry can keep you updated. Um, but let's, let's kind of talk about your actual fees that you're charging. So right now you have two tracks for your fees. One is like the more transactional each ticket is this much. Um, and then you have your monthly retainer program and you, uh, are very clear about your, Like they're listed on your website, which I'll link to in the show notes. I'll link to the, um, fee page so people can see the pricing structure, but let's start Mm -hmm. with the, um, transactional fees. So how did you come up with pricing for that?
1: Oh, I started way back when I started, when I left Flight Center and I started charging fees and, um, I didn't know how, again, at the time I thought it needs to be based on the time it's going to take me to do a particular booking. And I didn't know because I was just starting out. So I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to put a percentage, right? People are accustomed to percentages. People go to Ron, usually they tip 15%. So I started with 10%. And then I started building like that 10%. And at the time when I first started, I was doing everything for everyone from cruisers to safaris, to air, to all inclusive vacations. I did everything just like a good travel agent would start out to be. And, um, and then at some point when I had a good ending of how long it would take me to do each thing, because I realized that 10% of a $300 ticket and 10% of a $1,500 ticket, they both take the same amount of time. I just make that much less money on the $300 one, right? Mm-hmm. So then I I had a, a flat rate. So then I became, um, then I built some flat rates again by domestic international and by cabin class. And then, um, and then after a, another year and a bit of doing that, I realized that most of my good clients that I really enjoy working with would only use me for air anyway. And. That's what I'm world-class at. That's what I love to do. So I decided I was just going to focus on air and drop everything else. Because all my good clients clearly didn't need me for hotels or cars or anything. Because either their assistant, their executive assistant, their wife, they would do it themselves. But they would take care of that stuff and they only uh, got me on air. So I started with that. And then from there, I progressively increased um, my fees um, to the point where even that one time, I think I shared that story where... I was increasing my fees and I was very nervous yeah. and I put that email out and there was about 60, 60 or 80 people on my list at the time. And, and I, it was all about the fees are going on, blah, 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 This is blah, 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 blah. And then I send the email, but I forgot to attach the attachments that had the new fee structure. And in the end, only two people emailed me back and said, uh, what are the fees now? Okay. <laughs> so it just kind of reinforces that the fees uh, a lot of the time is like a, is an advisor's hurdle as opposed to on the client side. And that was my first realization and it's progressed over the time. Uh, But that's when it first started. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, because I was only servicing, I mean, I would say that I probably service today. Like I don't service more than 25, 20 to 30 clients pretty much. Right. So even though I do 700 and some thousand, like it's not like zillion amount of flights. Like I don't do a ton of stuff. Right. Um, my goal has always been to charge the most amount of money and serve the least amount of clients. And, uh, and again, after a while was like, now I started to do uh frequent flyer management for my clients and do the upgrades and all that kind of stuff just to, again, raise my fees and increase my value. and, 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 in terms of the frequent flyer program, you know, not many people are very savvy with it. I'm not super savvy, but I definitely know a lot more of my clients to make sure that we can use all the benefits. And and frequent flyers with status, it's on a yearly basis type thing. So I wanted a bigger commitment for my clients. So I started this retainer program, which would be based on a year's worth of travel from a client, mm-hmm. and we would divide it up equally in, in 12 months payments. So every month, they pay me a flat rate, and uh, based on the amount of flying they do, and when we first start the relationship, we agree on a price, and then six months later, we review it. And if they fly way more than they told me, then we'll increase it. And if they fly away less, then we'll adjust it. Just anything to create a win win situation for both of us. And um and it's amazing for me because now I kind of stabilized my revenue a little bit. It makes that every time I start a new month, then I have this the revenue that's not guaranteed because I still don't lock my clients into contracts. I still do month and month. I want to keep the onus and that like that, make sure that I own up to my end of the bargain and I keep at it as opposed to lock them in for a year, because when you say retainer, a lot of time, most of my clients go like, ah, yeah, I did hire a lawyer on retainer. And as soon as I signed, I never heard from them again. Mm -hmm. So I needed to be specific, but anyway, so I do the retainer thing and uh, my clients understand that there are months that we're going to travel more than the retainer fee, months that we're going to travel way less, but at the end of the year, we're both going to come out ahead. I'll be happy financially, they'll be happy with the service and what they receive and we're both winning and moving forward.
0: So I guess two questions on the retainer. It, are the kind of the tiers set for your, like, if you like have $50,000 worth of air during the year, it's this much. And then secondly, like how did COVID affect these retainer clients? Are, are they still with you? Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The um, so the retainer it first started. I had one flat fee for everyone,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: I shot myself in the foot on that one, with a few clients. Um, <laughs> and now it's been for the last two years. It's been uh, it's been based on their status, right? So their airline status dictates how much they fly. It doesn't account for flying another airline. That doesn't count, but it, it's a pretty good idea. Like I know what a hundred thousand miles, like status, one K status flies. And they have a price. So I tried to fit people within like the 25 to 35, 50 to 75 K and hundred and super elite plus they have a separate fee. And, uh, and that's worked for a while. And then I'm going to attempt to change it a little bit again. I'm going to try something different where I'm going to change the structure to not so much to how much they fly, but how much they want to pay for the service, the service they want. Kind of a, a bit of a, a SaaS model, like the service as a software industry, mm-hmm. uh, where you pay less, you get less, you pay more, you get a little more, and then there'll be like a little more access fee. And then the last year is going to have full-out management, frequent uh, fire management program, upgrades, miles, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then kind of give some perspective. It, same way as when I present airfares, I try to present the perspective to them so that it makes it very obvious where they should go, right? Yeah. which one they should pick. Which packages you go into, so that's going to be my my foray into buying uh, this particular pricing model. Oh, excellent!
0: <laughs> so did so did any clients end up um, kind of with cost saving measures uh, dropping the retainer with COVID?
1: Oh yeah, that's right. The second question. So um so what after I uh, like most of us stopped canceling, stopped like at the end of <laughs> March, uh, but the first of April came along because all my retainer goes on the first of the month. Um, then I realized I was going to be really affected by that. For some reason, before that, I didn't even think everybody else was panicking. I was like, I'm still good. I'm still working. I'm canceling. I'm still working, right? <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then I went to bed one night and I was like, ah, no, I have really good clients. I'm pretty sure they're going to change. And then I got up the next day and I didn't feel that confident. I was like, maybe you just ask them. So at the time I had six from the retainer and I sent them seven, six. I had, I sent them each an individual video message which says something along the line of, listen, the next payment is coming up. I understand the situation we're in. And to preface this, didn't want them to go first before I reach out to them, down their list of expenses and go travel. Yeah, get that out of there. We're not going to need that for a while. So I just wanted to make sure I was ahead of that curve. And I asked them, I says, listen, if you see any issues with the payment of the, the month, let me know. I'm here to help. Whatever I can do to help you go through this, we'll go through this together. And I send that out. And then the answers I got back were just amazing, like I got uh, first of all, I had one client, my newest client, which we'd only been in business together for about two months, so we didn't really have a lot of time to build that type of relationship, so I was okay that's that's fair fair game um and then I, the other ones went from uh, Larry, your good friend, uh, I'm not affected at all because he's in the service of the software uh, industry. um I'm more than happy to support you through this. he's sending you invoice. another client said um um, he's an Instagram guy. So he's like, listen, Larry, I understand how the retainers work. A lot of work. We did a lot of flying in the first three months of the year up until mid March. Uh and then at the time we thought it was only gonna last a month or two, right? So he's like, We're gonna do plenty of travel in the back end of the year. I'm more than happy to support you. I'm not affected by this. Please keep sending me your support. And then the last one the last one was like he's like he said, um, and he was a relatively new client as well, but uh very relationship based in everything he does, which is amazing, and that's how we got connected. Um, and he was like, listen, if you were to go under and not go through this, I don't know where I would go for my air service. Like, I, I don't know. I don't want to find out. I don't want to spend the time essentially saying I have a vested interest in your survival. So just keep sending me your invoice and I'll pay it. And um, and I had a fire one client halfway through the summer, which was he wasn't paying me. I was kind of giving him a break, but it didn't work anymore. So uh, so I let that goal to, to fill that spot with somebody else. Uh, but essentially, yeah, most of these clients are still paying me to this day. And most of them haven't flown since uh, yeah, the middle of March.
0: Oh, that's so dreamy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, if you do run into someone that, like a new client that comes in and the retainer program would be good for them and make financial sense, um, but you're, you're getting pushback from them that they aren't so keen on the value of it, um, what would you like? How do you approach
1: that? Um it depends. I think before we talk value, I think we would have a conversation first, like I always like to talk to the client and see if there is a fit
0: mm-hmm. first of all in
1: between the two of us and I would uh and before I bring in pricing i would I would try to figure out where they need my help, like why did they call me like what was so? Uh, when somebody mentioned my name, somebody mentioned what I did, what in there is like, ah, I need that. Like what pain point? Like what are you most frustrated by? And and, and if I feel like I can, def- I can definitely help there and remove that pain, then we talk about pricing and it's never really an issue. A lot of time if somebody has a pushback, for example, I'll say, listen, let's just do a trial run. Just give me a chance. I'll do the first booking, whatever the fee is. And uh, when you come back, I'm going to call you and I'm going to ask you, oh, did you feel like you got enough value for the amount you paid? And if you say, I don't feel like I did, then I would just refund him the money, no questions asked, and we'll go on our separate ways. Um, that's one other thing. Other than that, we would do as well, like a lot of the clients, well, not a lot, but one client in particular was like, listen, um, you know, agree on a fee, and then, you know, like we're two, we're too uh, individual get along, and uh, we'll make it work. And we both have the confidence that we would, come to a win-win solution in the end and we settled on a price and then we did six months and happens that it stayed the same price for the last year um, so there's multiple ways of doing it but sometimes you kind of know right when somebody's really that price sensitive that you just don't want to work with them so I don't have any issues saying no either listen I'm not a good fit I'm not the person for you I can't really help you that way because um, that way just leaves that slot open for somebody who really fits the bill to come in and uh, and and for us to have a good chance of having a good working relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned earlier that part of the package is that you're servicing their frequent flyer programs. So for people that are interested in, in what's involved with that for you, what does it look like? What are you doing to manage the program? Which I, by the way, um, am horrible. I, I need someone to manage my <laughs> frequent flyer programs. I'm sure I'm throwing things out the window left and right. Actually, I know I am. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, um, essentially what it comes down to is right from uh, when we do the research, right? As part of my process and as part of my recommendation to the client, I always have in the back of my mind, okay, we need to worry about the frequent fly program. We need to know, and we'll have a strategy for the end of the year. Like, what do we want to do? Do we stay super elite? Do we want to keep 100,000 miles? Do we want, are we okay to drop? What are the benefits we're going to lose? Are we okay with them? We analyze all that and we set a plan. And my job is to make sure that I keep them on track. And always remind him that listen, we can go to Canada because that's where the status is. It's going to cost an extra five hundred dollars, or we can go this cheaper route with another airline, with British Airways, for example. But you're not you're going to miss out on all these miles, and perhaps at the end of the year we're going to fall short, right? So that goes. That's the first step of it. Um, second, it will be you know sometimes, and even in the list, the frequent fly program is just making sure your miles get allocated to your account, which mm-hmm. is something silly to do, but most people don't do it, right? Most people don't know if one ticket doesn't, right? So I ask that and, and every every quarter I do it or I get somebody else to do it and we just go check, 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 take 15 minutes, right? But that's part of the overall value that the client really enjoys. Um, I'll do, uh, if they have status, I'll make sure that they uh, they know or we know all the benefits that come with the status so we can leverage every single one of them whenever we can. Um, I'll handle a lot of the upgrade, right? If we can uh, use some of the upgrades that they're entitled to when they uh, when they travel as a status holder, then I'll make sure we book in a specific fare class in order to leverage that. So there's a bit of a technicality on that particular front. But but I would say like the, the, generally speaking, it's just always reminding them because everybody wants to save money. doesn't matter how much money you make. If you see a lower price, you'd be like, yeah, let's go with that. And you're like, yeah, but you're going to miss out on this, 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 and this. And they go, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's go here. Let's do here. So sometimes it's just reminding them constantly. Um, and then that's the biggest part is just figure making sure they stay on track to do it, to, to keep the status. Cause once they have it, nobody ever wants to go back and lose benefits of traveling, yeah. especially when you've, when you've gotten them. So, um, so that's a, a part of the frequent management program.
0: Cool. Well, I, I think one thing that can really scare advisors away from air only bookings is debit memos. And if, You aren't familiar with debit memos. I'll link in the show notes to an article that goes over all things debit memos. It's very exciting. Uh, But for you, Larry, have you found that debit memos are a serious issue that's like cutting into your profits, that it's this huge risk that you have to worry about?
1: No, not for me specifically. I mean, I, I view it as a cost of doing business to be honest. I mean, it's no different than credit card fees. You know, like I, most of my clients use American express and that's the highest percentage that that's out there. And it's just the way it is, right? Like I just eat it up, and it's just part of how I price my my stuff, and it's all that's all included. Um, for self, for example, like I I don't I average about I do know six seven hundred dollars um, a year in debit memos, which is not huge,
0: Mm-mm.
1: but you can definitely get one. I had over two thousand dollars once, and it was an error, and it got all fixed and whatnot, but it definitely got my blood boiling. So I can only imagine if you've got several of them. And it gets to add up, and you're like, and sometimes it's little, it's very attention to detail, and a lot of time it just needs a good checklist to make sure that when you do your, when you issue your ticket, if you do, that you follow everything that's on there. And a lot of host agency have like um, a ticket queue that somebody else will go through to make sure you don't miss anything. So that's a good way to do it. Or, I mean, to to, to anything that I do, I w- I don't have to do the booking, right? I can use a wholesaler. Um, I, any of them I can hand, I can give them the ticketing and I could get them to take the debit memos. If they make a mistake, they'll pay for it. The only thing is when I don't do the booking personally, it gives it takes the control out of my hands a little bit in terms of how active I can be when the client's at the airport and the flights and cancel and delay and whatnot. So, um, I prefer to keep it. And the risk of having a bigger debit memo is worth, it has a bigger upside for me. Uh, In terms of uh, how fast I can help the client, how seamless I can make it, and how I can jump the queue and grab a seat before anybody else does, as opposed to call the wholesaler, wait on hold potentially. And um, having said that, I work with a wholesaler and they're available like this to email, phone. They're only close from midnight to five in the morning um So I would I wouldn't hesitate to have them ticket my stuff, but if you're if somebody's afraid of debit memos, there's other ways to do it than just issue the issue the tickets yourself. You can still do all the F, the extra services, the concierge, the the highly personalized stuff. You could still do that on top of any tickets that've been issued by a wholesaler, no problem at all.
0: Mm-hmm. And and for those that aren't familiar, when we're talking about debit memos, we're talking about typically when you're in the GDS system is when you're going to be getting the debit memos, and if you're not in the gds system your host agency might have a ticketing desk or your consortium might have a ticketing desk um, that can help you um with that but they'll they'll often like the host agencies most of them will have some kind of a um not exactly sure the term i think it's like a mid office system that's watching for fraud or different things in ticketing that are missing that could cause debit memos which is kind of a mm-hmm. fail safe for you yeah. um well, let's see. I think we've got a good feel for your fee structure and kind of the thought process that drives your agency that it's really about the service and not really the transaction of booking the air. So let's um, move into the next section where we can kind of talk about your booking process and what you do. So I, I think my first question is your 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 business, you said, is built on the idea that you have fewer clients and you're, the, the idea that you're able to give them more time and attention. Um, and I know you said this earlier, but could you repeat this? How many clients um, do you have at any given time?
1: I probably don't have live, like 30, more mm-hmm. than that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, all, all said and done over the years, I have a list longer than that. But if people that constantly keeps coming back, that makes like, I would say like 85% of my, of my book of business, but no more than 20 to thirty clients.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So with this smaller set of clients that you're working with, um, and it sounds like it's on a pretty regular summer, regular basis um, that allows you mm-hmm. to kind of get in our, it's a little bit different from like, say a leisure agent where maybe they're only booking a couple tri- trips a year for their um, clients, but that a lot of, Booking a lot for them gives you the chance to kind of get in a rhythm with them. And when we last chatted, you had mentioned that you train your clients on how to communicate their flight needs to you. So tell, tell us more about what that looks like and why it's helpful.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, uh, that took a while to come, but now it's, it's working really good. It just needs to remind us to do it as opposed to do it the way they've always done it and, um, and it, it's, um, it started. Because one particular client I was working with and I I work with mostly entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, when they wear the hat of the the business owner, they make decisions based on numbers and they're very pragmatic that way. And then when they travel, then it's a different person. Like they have a different hat, like they're relaxed and like it's different. Right. So I wanted them to communicate the information over to me in the traveler mode. So what I tell most of my clients is like, when you relay the information, Let's make it look like I'm the pilot, I'm flying your private jet, and you tell me exactly, ideally, if there was zero constraints, right? There's no time constraints, there's no flight departures, there's no cost constraints, nothing. Tell me how the trip would go. What time would you leave preferably? What time would you arrive at destination Why? Because I like to go to bed early or because I have an early speaking engagement the next day? Just give me the context, right? Give me what you would like it to look like. Ideally, I would come back. You know, I stop speaking at three o'clock. By the time I get to the airport, six o'clock, and I can see myself at home by nine thirty. By the time the kids go to bed, maybe it's a little too late. But anyway, you, you get you get the gist of it. So then, when I get that information, then I'll go in and I'll be, I'll build what I call the baseline, and mm-hmm. I'll price that out, and I'll come out to let's say fifteen hundred dollars.
0: And that's Not like that. meeting every single one of their needs, like
1: exactly, mm-hmm. exactly the itinerary, exactly the way they want it, as opposed to to start with the cheapest and work their way up. I start with what they really want, and that brings the baseline. It's $1,500. And then I'll go and I'll look above that line. What's a better product? What's a better airline? What's a better uh, airplane you can fly on? What's a better business class if they're flying business, right? Could we upgrade you to a better airline, a better type of aircraft that has a much better life flat seat? Um, And then I'll price that out and I'll list if it's an extra $400 or $500 to make a round number at $2,000, um, I'll list benefits that you're going to get for that $500. Dollar. And then they can decide based on if they want it. And then I'll go lower and I'll be like, listen, if you really wanted to go this low, we could go to this rock bottom. And then, but this is what you'd be missing out on. You wouldn't have that. You'd have half your miles. We'd have to pay for seed. You wouldn't get, get your bags and you get priority. You wouldn't get all this stuff. So then the client can decide uh, easily. It's almost a no brainer when you put it that way. They'll be like, for sure, let's go with the baseline or whatever it is. Because they've seen on either side and they can make a really quick decision. And eventually, it goes down to a point where I just send them one itinerary, and it's their baseline, and they just go, let's just go with that. Then we don't have less work for everybody. It's the less lot work for them to think about it, to look through a bunch of different options, and it works for them. They're okay with the price because a lot of time, it's not really about the price, but they, they just say, let's go with that. So with clients that have been working for a while, that's pretty much the, the process that we have now. It's very fast, very quick for them to download the information to me. And it's very easy for me to return back what they should do. And it takes a lot less time for both of us, which is amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. And you use an app that I'd never heard of before, um, which is kind of unique to communicate as your main source. You send the itineraries via email so that everything's in writing. But when you're kind of going back and forth with the client, um, I I think it's called Boxer. Is that right?
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's kind of a a walkie-talkie app um and it's great because you know like and sometimes we'll have almost a phone conversation to the walkie talk well they'll be talking and i'll be listening mm-hmm. so you can do that you don't have to wait till it's done to listen and oftentimes they go do something else and they come back and they just commun- we communicate when it works for each of us right but it's voice we can it's so much faster you know part like uh, next to a phone call uh that's definitely the second biggest thing so yeah we do use a lot of voice stuff um i have a segment of my clients that are you know, I would say like 55 and above, and that's all they know It's talk phone. They build relationships based on flying across the pond and shaking hands over a scotch after a dinner, come back, done deal. Right. And then they always call. So for them, the, the, the Voxer and the walkie talkie is really great because now they can, with the time zones and everything, they could get it off their chest whenever they want to. And I get it when I, when I get up and, and we just get it that way and it makes it very efficient as opposed to wait for emails and inboxes and all that kind of stuff. So, that's a pretty cool
0: app. Yeah. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes if anyone's interested in kind of integrating it into their agency. So um, you talked a little bit about consolidators um, or wholesalers earlier. So where do you typically end up booking your clients there? Is it mostly done in the GDS or like what percentage is GDS versus consolidators? Do you ever book like direct on the sites? Um, It's,
1: Pretty much 90% of the GDS, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's probably even 95% of the GDS, like a handful with the wholesaler. Um, and then, uh, I do happen sometimes, you know, sometimes you get a client that gets a percentage discount because their TV screen wasn't working and you can only redeem those online. So, and because to me, the, the, the business is based on I get compensated for the work I do by the client. And if I happen to work on it to have to book on a website because somebody wants a Southwest flight, for example, I don't get commission anyway as a Canadian. I don't know if anybody else does, but I'd think it's straight across the board and nobody does. But I'm still getting paid for it, right? So I don't it doesn't matter to me. I don't need to be booking drinks through a particular channel. Um so yeah, at the time I book. I'm not I'm not just I need to be in a GDS all the time because I've only been in GDS for seven years. So it's you know, like I'm efficient at it, but I'm nowhere near what a lot of people do. But I use it, you know, whenever I need to, because I like to keep the control over the PNR so that I can uh, more efficiently service the clients when it's, uh, when it's needed really fast.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing I learned from you when we were chatting was kind of the, how frequent flyers pay, play, I should say, like within consolidators. And if you're managing the program, one thing that you have to be aware of, um, if you're going to book into a consolidator, can you chat a little more on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. What I found is that a lot of times, I mean, if anybody's familiar with frequent flyer programs and most airlines are about the same nowadays in North America, which you need to fly a certain amount of miles and you need to spend a certain amount of money in order to get the status, right? It's been miles forever. And for the last two, three years now, there's that extra level of, 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 um, of, of criteria where you need to meet a certain dollar amount. And if you book, um, a business class ticket a lot of time on consolid, on, I don't even know how to say it now, on, uh, consolidators. On these wholesalers, yeah. consolidators. Um, usually they can have pretty significant discount. Like you could say like two, three, you can send thousands of dollars going to them. But what happens is a lot of those will be bulk fares right? And they're labeled Dutch, but bulk fares usually means that it doesn't come with a dollar amount attached to it. So even though you book on Air Canada, Air Canada doesn't have a way to see how much you actually pay. For the tickets therefore they don't allocate any dollars to the status mm-hmm. which to me it's like I, I bring it up to the clients, like listen we can sometimes we can afford to not get the dollars right for the status and we'd rather take the saving but you need to know that that's a possible hurdle right um but that's one of the biggest one and so i have to make sure and there's some net fares that do it as well mm-hmm. net fares, most fares will give you the miles that's not an issue they always credit the miles to the account regardless of what type of fares you're in but some of them won't give the dollar amount that's crucial to qualifying for status and something I learned the hard way. And now I know. So Yeah.
0: Well, well, that's really great stuff. And I, I think we've, um, I've just got a few more questions I want to ask you that don't really fall under a nice umbrella topic. So, um, Mm -hmm. we'll move into my catch all, all other stuff section. So (laughs) let's see. Um, what kind of, (laughs) Marking because when we were, when we were scheduling our call, it was really funny because I was like, okay, let me know which number like to reach you at. And then Larry writes back, I'm looking forward to see you. And then like, I'm looking in his signature when I'm getting ready to call him and I'm like, oh, there's no phone number there. And I go to his website and there's no phone number on there. And I was like, Facebook stalking. And I was like, oh, cool. There's a phone number I can call him at. Um, But what kind of like clearly you don't do tons and tons of marketing because the phone number was hard to find, but um, zero. <laughs> what kind of zero? Okay. So no social media, no networking groups, nothing.
1: Not, not for client. I mean, in a sense you do when you network, right. And mm-hmm. because you build relationships, eventually you get to, Hey, what do you do? Right. And once you build that relationship, then I, I guess it's the kind of marketing same as referrals, which is word of mouth. But that's pretty much all I, all, all, I, all I go on. Like that's how my business started and that's how it's grown. And sure, it's a little slower at times, right? Because you need to spend time to build trust with the clients before they feel comfortable putting uh, another relationship that they have with somebody else in your hands, right? To, to get that trust directly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really touchy, but it's, it always makes really good referrals and really amazing clients. And then once you've got some good clients and you can, you, you know, and you, and the good thing about referrals is that a lot of time I'm very transparent about fees because I feel like everybody's used a travel agent before and nobody's ever paid anything. So I just want to make sure I'm just like, listen, uh there's a fee to use with my service and I always bring it up. And most of the time I get, uh oh, that's, that's fine. Uh, if Johnny pays it, like he referred me to you, I'm sure if he pays it, it's fair and I'll pay it as well. And uh so that's another reminder that the hurdle with the fees is often on the side of the advisor, so much on the side of the client. Um, but yeah, so what I do, I don't really do a lot of stuff. Like I, I tried over the COVID, I did a few videos to help out people and give them information about new rules and regulations and credits and what they can do and all that kind of stuff. That's pretty much the extent of it. Like I don't do, do anything specifically targeted to getting new clients in terms of Facebook ads or Instagram ads. I mean, I have accounts but I don't really use them for that, but often here and there I'll say something and somebody will go, Oh, you do that. And then maybe that gets me a lead, I guess, but I don't, it's not deliberate.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what, what I love talking about or why I love talking to so many different advisors is because there's a zillion, like sometimes people that are newer to the industry, um want there to be like one way to do things. But what I love about it is it's just so diverse the way that people market themselves and the structures of their companies. And that's kind of the purpose of the podcast is to shine light on all these different possibilities. And you can take and pick what you like from each one and create an agency that works for you.
1: You know, I'll say, I'll, I'll tell you a story though. And I guess in a sense that is marketing, but I, now that I think about it, it is, but, um, I had a, um, a client I'd worked with in the past that was hosting an event in Cabo San Lucas, and it's very uh, select event. there's only 150 entrepreneurs that go to it, and um, he reached out to me because he's like, "Larry, I can't find any direct flight from Canada." And then I looked into it, and I was like, "Well, because you picked the slowest period of the season, because he's renting the whole hotel, and obviously, when nobody's there, yeah, sure, have the whole hotel." What comes with it comes off-season, and in off-season in Canada, there's very little nonstop service from Canada to Mexico. In the winter, there's tons of them. But in, in the month of October, the, the season starts in November usually. And he's like, oh, my God. He's like, it's going to be that complicated for all my clients to get there. And I was like, kind of. And they're only three days, right? So it's a, it's a very quick turnaround. Oh, yeah. So uh, so he reached back up to me, and he's like, listen, how much would you charge me if – um." If I was to bring your name up and I'd ask people to contact you, like I would offer that on me as part of a service of what I do, like a concert service. And I would offer your service for all my clients that come. And at the time I was like, uh, I feel like I should be paying you to access 150 of my ideal clients. And I said, listen, um, just do it. I'll do it for free. I feel it's going to be enough exposure for me. And at the end of the day, if I get two or three more clients out of this bunch, that's gonna make it. So I guess in a sense, that's a bit of marketing, if you will. But again, it's always in the it, it, from my 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 perspective, it's always just help as much as you can, and good things will come back. I just never know. And I still have clients that's been that say, "Hey, remember me? You booked me to Cabo, right?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah," you know. And because I did a good impression, and they didn't pay anything, and but I I got to you know choke. What I do, how I can do it, and I'll I'll give you just one last one. I had uh, one CEO of a um, a staffing company, a virtual assistant staffing company, and if you know anything about outsourcing and whatnot, travel is some often something gets outsourced, air travel like air bookings, hotels, that kind of stuff, right? So she thought she was she she'd done a lot, and like a lot of clients I come across, they go, oh yeah, I could do that. Like I do bookings all the time. Like I book air all the time. Like I'm really good at it, actually. Like I'm fantastic at it. And people tell me that until I handled their travel, you go, Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Like I never thought about half this stuff. Right. And even then she's like, and then after a while, she's like, ah, that is what you do. Right. Cause sometimes when you explain people what you do in their head, oh I mean, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. No brainer, whatever. And then she was so amazed after the trip and she was like, now I understand what you do. So sometimes offering a trial to someone, is probably the best way to get them to buy in or get them to, for them to to see what you're capable of doing. And a lot of time something really cool that somebody could do in time they book air is like just communicate your thought process. When you, you send an itinerary to someone, uh tell them things that you looked at that probably they didn't or they ne- never looked at or they never never think about looking at. So an example I would send an itinerary to a client, and I would say listen, um I would recommend you take this particular itinerary because it has an hour and 45 minute connection. There's one faster at 45 minutes, but you know, you're going to go through Minneapolis and we know what can happen in the winter. A little bit of de-icing here goes 25 minutes and then boom, 45 minutes connection is gone. Right? So I build a buffer so that we have enough time knowing it's winter, knowing where you're connecting to get you to your final destination. And people go like, I would never thought about looking at the airport I'm connecting to. And same Mm -hmm. thing goes with connecting in Denver, Chicago, Toronto, New York in the winter time. If I can use Seattle, San Francisco, Phoenix, Houston, right? I will. And I will bring that up to my clients. Um, Other times it'll be like uh, something as simple as, um, you know, I think if you're going to fly 16 hours across the Pacific to go to Australia, I would recommend this one because this one is on a Dreamliner. It's on a Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Nobody else knows except for me. Well, not, but my clients mostly don't know. This is the brand new aircraft. It's made of this composite. And the advantage of flying on this aircraft is that it's got very high humidity content in the cabin. Uh, um, It's pressed at an altitude that's lower than any other airliner by 2,000 feet, which helps with dizziness and dryness and and jet lag and all that kind of stuff. So, all these advantages, if you're going to compound that for 16 hours, I would definitely fly on that bird. And people are like, Oh, I would have taken this other plane because it's cheaper and it goes to China. So a lot of time, like what I go in my head when I do the research, I felt like there's a lot of value. If I can just communicate that to the client, it increased mm-hmm. my credibility because now they're like, shit, this guy knows what he's doing, right? He's looking at stuff that I never thought I should be looking at. Right. So it makes it that much easier to sell something to someone and to ask for money for it because they know that you're doing more than they could at that time. Even though everybody knows that booking a flight is fairly easy. Well, it is. You click, 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 click. But oftentimes you don't, you don't see what's in the, the cracks, right? The layovers and the airlines and like the tight yeah. connections and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I could to explain a lot of that. And again, along with the same thing as before, which was started as tracking flights from my clients for my own sanity turns out to be a really cool customer service tool because now I can let them know it's delay and they go, shit, that's good thank you. And just, you know, so it's all these little things that you can do and, um, and it's, you know, everybody can do it really easy.
0: Yeah. So, well, when you're talking about um, like the Dreamliner and the humidity in the cabin, like these types of, these bits of knowledge that you're coming up with um, for someone that's not as familiar with airlines um, or airfares, um, where are some places you would recommend People go to learn more so that they can come up with these, like, is there a a Facebook group or a airline enthusiast magazine that they can subscribe to? Where do you get these details?
1: The easiest thing you could do is I use seedguru.com uh-huh. and it's as, yeah, as you put the flight number, AC123, the date, and it already knows what type of aircraft is flying on there. And then you can look at the type of aircraft and on there, it's going to detail, does it have USB power plug-in does It have, you know, like what's the business class look like? What's the service on board look like? And sometimes it's just be like, Hey, make sure you bring an adapter because they, or make sure you, make sure you bring a USB cable because they don't have 110 volts on there. If you want to charge your, your phone on a hundred, you know, if you go on a long, um, so these are just the little things you could do. Legroom is a big one. Right. Like everybody's flown before. Everybody knows that sometimes you're in a really tight plane. And again, on Slide where you could see what's the pitch uh, in economy. What's the, the distance in between the seat in front of you. And if a different routing has more legroom and you know, your client is six three, then perhaps you bring that up. Right. And they don't have to find out on the plane before a, I wouldn't say a 16 hour flight for that short, but for a lengthy flight. So, um, so those are two really quick things that someone can do. Um, apart from that, um, yeah, anything that you go through, through your head, when you look at it, just don't assume that the clients, Oh, and the clients do the same research and look at the same things. point them out, list them out. And if it's too long on an email, I, I usually send a voice memo attached to the email listing all that stuff, like quickly, like a quick two minute jolt. To Mm -hmm. give them why I recommended this and why they should go with it. And as the relation develops and the trust builds, eventually it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot faster for the, for the advisor to do all the work because you already have the trust and you don't get the, oh, but I saw this particular flight yesterday on Google Flight. What about that one? Would you like people eventually stop looking, right? Like if you have some of those clients, eventually as you showcase what you do, what you look at, and how thorough you are with your research. Uh, people will just completely trust you and then they will never look again. And you can, you know, you can take full control uh, of their air. So.
0: Yeah. Well, the, so the other thing I want to mention before we start to wrap things up is if an advisor really likes the structure of your company. And um, so you had talked earlier about it, it's your hope that they can apply kind of the theory be of the fee practicing to whatever their niches um, and whatever wherever their passions lie. Um, any so any agency can switch gears and start providing um, that white glove service to their clients if that's appealing to them. But I, I noticed there was like probably one caveat to that that people should be aware of and. Because when I asked you about your work-life balance, Larry, um, when dealing <laughs> yeah. with such high-touch clientele, you you mentioned, you were like, mm, not work-life balance. It's more of an integration. So um, yeah. <laughs> any words of wisdom for someone whose work is more integrated into their lives or that is thinking about um, becoming an agency that gives a lot more personal attention? Like, uh, How can you bring the work-life balance back into there?
1: Yeah, see, for me, if I had to redo it again, I would really pay attention on uh, what I put into, so uh, this is how much it's going to cost, and this is what I'm going to do. Everything that has to do with my time and my own time and working 24-7 and working on the weekends and working on holidays and working all that stuff, I would try to limit it to, to the minimum. That's what I would try to do differently, because I'll tell you, uh, you know, since COVID started, like I don't sleep with my phone anymore, and I always have. Uh, again, just proactively trying to make sure the flights depart on time, the flight connects at the other end and if it's in Europe, it's in the middle of the night, Um, I don't want to go back there. And that's part of the adjustments that I'm making with my new packages and whatnot because, yeah, you can list a bunch of stuff, but just read them and just look at them and see if it's going to lead you down that rabbit hole that I happen to fall into. Which is, it's one thing to deliver highly personalized service and whatnot, but sometimes you can go to the point where, yeah, it's going to push you to working way too much. And if you have families and if you have a significant other, then it could definitely encroach on that particular time. And it's good to train your clients as well, that um I've done that with some of my clients. For most of them, I was like, you have access to my cell phone directly, right? But I'll put the onus on you to determine if it is an emergency or if it is not, Okay. So if you send me something on Saturday, I'll trust that you're going to tell me, listen, I'm sending it to you now. It's perfectly okay if you respond on Monday. Or listen, it's Saturday. I need to fly tomorrow morning. That's an urgency. I'll do it. Right? I don't want to create this, you know, you can call me at any time for anything. Right? So I've been putting that out there. And I'm fortunate enough that most of my clients do the same thing. Like they have the same ones and they're also available, but they like, to be off sometimes, right? They don't yeah. always have their phone on. Um, so yeah, so the, there's multiple ways. For example, um, I, when I set an alert for my client, it comes directly to me. So I'm responsible for it, to look at it and to act on it. And it can come at any time, right? Usually they send me an alert, uh, three hours before the flight. To let me know it's on time. Anytime between that and the flight departure, if there's any delays, they'll let me know, it's going to let me know when the flight is airborne and it's going to let me know when the flight's down. Um, but if I didn't want to take on all of that work that potentially can turn into a seven-day, twenty-four-hour whirlwind, I can just sign my clients up for it, and they can get the email, right? And they'll get the updates and whatnot while they travel, right? So there's, just I mean, are you going to be able to charge as much as if I did what I did? Maybe not, right? But it all depends on the level of commitment you're willing to do. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to go all out and specialize in airfare. The point is not to go that deep down the rabbit hole, but there's definitely a lot of just essential service stuff that you could do for your clients that are very easy to do and take very little time and provide a great value for your client. And you can easily just double your income that way. I mean, easily go from 25 to 50 or 25 to 100. I mean, I charge $175 for an economy international ticket, right? And I never get any pushback ever. So Mm -hmm. even if you got the 75 and you felt that was an increase because you're already doing the work anyway, every time you have a client that go on a river cruise, might as well. Right. Yeah. Um, Leverage that. So.
0: Well, um, I can't believe it, we've already chatted the hour away and it's time to kind of roll into our final segment, which is our warm fuzzy segment. And yes, (laughs) there is actually a warm fuzzy um, segment on this podcast because. I mean, I'm in love, so of course there's like a warm fuzzy pigment. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I was telling someone the other day how I was taking a walk around the neighborhood. It's fall here right now in Minnesota, and I was walking around the neighborhood, and I love the smell of like fresh fallen leaves, and I love to like, I don't know, walk through piles of leaves. It's just this yep. small joy of mine. So I'm walking, and I'm, I'm with my two dogs, and we're like, on this cute little walk and I'm, I see this like big pile of leaves on the sidewalk in front of me and I'm so excited. And I'm just zoned in on it and I go in and I'm like stomping and I'm smiling and I'm, it's the middle of the day so no one's really out, except there was. <laughs> there was this man in his yard 10 feet away from me that was like a, he was like above a retaining wall and a half fence so I didn't really see him. And then all of a sudden like I heard this person laughing and I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> I'm like, I just love the smell of leaves. And so, you know, that's why we have a Warm Fuzzy segment on here, because small things bring me small joys, large joys, actually. Absolutely. So yeah. Well, um, Larry, don't feel any pressure, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, and our industry is okay. semi-collapsed. But do you have a Warm Fuzzy to lift everyone's spirit uh, as we wind down the episode? No pressure
1: yeah i mean i think i touched on it a little bit earlier too but i think that you know what brings me joy about what i do especially in this pandemic was the fact that the message i got back from my clients once the pandemic hit and i send them a message about the retainer and they pretty much all opted to keep paying me to this uh which has been amazing you know like i i assume i had good clients but it's really good to get that confirmation people really And really value what you do point where they're invested in your survival in a sense. And, um, you know, like, I feel like sometimes it's an opportunity our clients don't have is how we, how can I support you? There's nothing out there for me to support you on. Right. Mm -hmm. I can't, I'm forced. that people pay me a retainer. There's something. Uh, but as I mentioned in another uh, from I was like, well, you guys can sell services, sell a gift for like restaurants do it, right? Because their patrons don't want the restaurants go. So I'm sure there's some advisors that have clients that don't want to see them go. But how would they give them money? There's there's nothing. There's no the yeah. platform. There's nothing to do it. And if you say, listen, buy $300 worth of service, pay 200 and now you get money now. They're okay to delay service till later. And it's cash for you now. And you can you can give the service later when you have other sources of income. Like that'd be a great way to do it. But, you know, so that's a bit of a, a good side of the retainer that I never thought about as an advantage is that because I have my clients on monthly retainers, perhaps, hopefully we never see another pandemic like this, but other yeah. things that happen, I, I may still have a paycheck and I may still support uh from my clients. So, uh, so that's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah and I, I had told you before we got on to the recording but we had gotten an email from um a client that wrote in and it was really sweet saying he had to cancel some of his cruises um that he was like 80 something years old um and he wanted to he knew that his travel advisor had put all this work into it but that now he had to cancel the cruises and he felt really bad and he wrote and he said I came across your travel agent commissions article and wanted to know like how much commission my advisor is losing because I want to pay it out of pocket. And the the man ended up like having a $40,000 worth of vacations that were ending up canceling. So he, the we just told how much commission the agent probably would have made on average. And he paid that whole amount as like a quote unquote tip to the advisor. Mm-hmm. So that it's just super sweet. the kind of outpouring of support from uh clients when they're able to. So uh,
1: And this client this client reached out on his own, right? I'm sure there's a lot of that clients that would do the same, but just don't reach out and don't have a way. So
0: Yeah. I mean it was jar. so cute. I was like an eighty year old man like going online searching like travel agent commissions and coming across our article and writing us. Like the the amount of work he went through was just It was just like heartwarming. It was just adorable. (laughs) Um, all right. So, well, hot diggity, we are wrapping things up. So Larry, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. I can't think of a better way than to have spent (laughs) my day with all of you. So thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And it's always great to talk fees and airfares anytime.
0: Yeah, and and don't forget to check out, um, for those that are listening, first of all, um, if you want to learn, you know, more from Larry about all his airfare tricks, you can go to airfareconsultant.com slash, slash, H-A-R, and um, for those of you that are listening, don't forget, we talked about our income reports, uh, surveys last time, and now our income reports are actually out, so, Check them out on Host Agency Reviews. Um, I'll give you a little teaser and let you know that the average income for the hosted agent that is full-time um, and has a few years under their belt. Uh, Larry, can you give me a drum roll, please? That's a very soft drum roll, but thank you. <laughs> okay, so it's over 64,000. So it's up quite a bit from last year, which is really exciting. Um, and we've got lots more data where that's come from. So. Things like the median income for advisors, what was from, like how much came from consultation fees versus service fees. Um, what else is in there? What percentage of advisors earn over a hundred thousand um, and lots, lots more. So visit hostagencyreviews.com slash blog and uh, from the tag uh, drop down menu, you can select travel agent surveys and that will pull up all of our surveys. and. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. You can watch a video, read a transcript and view the show notes for today's show by visiting hostagencyreviews.com TAC and clicking on episode 17. Now's the perfect time to rethink your agency and make the changes you always wanted to do, but were too busy to do. We've got a free 16 page travel agency business plan template for you as you start to write down your thoughts. We'll guide you through the process and provide plenty of resources for you as you fill out the form. To download your free free copy, visit HostAgencyReviews.com and type business plan in the search bar. If you have any questions on today's show, jump over to Host Agency Reviews YouTube channel and comment on the video and Larry or I will get back to you. Thanks for listening and stay safe.